Roughly 15% of American adults are on antidepressants. Roughly 25% of women over the age of 60 are on antidepressants. One in six Australians are issued mental health-related prescriptions each year. The majority of these prescriptions involve antidepressants. Since humans have been able to think, we have asked ourselves why we are here. What is our purpose? What is the meaning of life? Why do we wake up in the morning? Why do we go to sleep? Why do we care about certain things? Why do we care less about other things? For some people, these questions are so overwhelming that they feel sad. They feel overwhelmed. They feel like there's actually no point to all of this because how are you supposed to answer a question about the meaning of life? In the 21st century, when someone is so overwhelmed that they're unable to get out of bed, we tend to think that they might be depressed. Also, that they might be anxious. They might be thinking too much about things. But go back 2,500 years, we didn't have modern diagnoses to describe what people were feeling. We didn't have doctors who can prescribe antidepressants that can help people get back on their feet. And until the 1950s, we didn't have antidepressants at all. We didn't have these tablets that someone could swallow that generally seemed to improve their well-being. In the 70s, a drug called Prozac was developed. And in 1987, Prozac was approved by the Food and Drug Administration in the USA, which marked the beginning of what many people describe as the antidepressant revolution. Antidepressants are a big part of many people's lives, including my own. I have been on antidepressants since the beginning of 2019, and they have changed my life. However, as much as they have allowed me to do things, they have also affected me in negative ways. And that is the inspiration for this episode. This is Normal, and my name is Alex Hammer. In the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, which is used by psychiatrists, psychologists and mental health professionals around the world to diagnose people with particular things, also known as the DSM, major depressive disorder, also known as clinical depression, is a mental disorder which is characterized by at least two weeks of pervasive low mood, low self-esteem, or loss of interest or pleasure in normally enjoyable activities. Okay, so there we have the clinical definition of depression. There are three parts, low mood, low self-esteem, and loss of interest or pleasure for at least two weeks. Now, two weeks isn't a very long time to feel low about something. For example, if you have a big life event that's really distressing and really sad, you're probably going to have a low mood for longer than two weeks. But if there's a big life event that's triggered you to feel a particular way, then you know what's causing you to feel a particular way. I imagine that a lot of the time the depressed person doesn't have a trigger in this way. Some people just feel sad and they don't know why. And that's when depression begins to get really confusing and really hard to treat because there isn't an incident that a person is responding to per se. So antidepressants obviously have the word depressant in it, right? They are a pill that is used to treat depression. But antidepressants are also used to treat other things, such as anxiety disorders. Now, anxiety disorders are going to be more difficult to define but I suppose we can describe anxiety disorders through some pretty general language. So there are obviously going to be physical and mental symptoms such as restlessness, irritability, difficulty concentrating, increased heart rate, nausea, 
chest pain, so many different things. You know, some people say they have uh, a, a feeling of, of uneasiness or tension in their kind of middle chest area. Other people say that, um, you know, their palms start sweating and they can't think clearly. But there are so many different types of anxiety disorders that antidepressants can be used to treat. So, for example, there's the generalized anxiety disorder. There is a phobia that someone might have. Then there is a social anxiety disorder or a panic disorder. All of this is to say that antidepressants aren't just used to treat depression. I think this is a very common misconception about them. They are also used to treat anxiety disorders. And this is something that is important to keep in mind. Okay, so one of the most common things that people describe when they begin taking antidepressants is that it's easier to get out of bed. And I guess this is just one way of saying that it's easier to do things. And as a person, it's very important to do things. You know, how, whatever your kind of political beliefs are or whatever your personal beliefs are about doing stuff and capitalism and socialism and whatever... It's important to do things, you know, if you're not doing anything, you're probably not going to feel too good. And as someone who has been very depressed before, the main thing that seems to happen is that it becomes really hard to do anything, even the most basic thing, which is getting out of bed. So one of the most common things that antidepressants seem to help people do is it helps them get out of bed. It kind of lowers the barrier. It kind of makes the obstacles that get in the way of doing things a bit easier to climb over. You know, it makes a person feel as though things are a bit more surmountable. And one quite confusing thing is that we don't know why. We don't really know why antidepressants do this. We know about the mechanism. We know kind of what they do at a neurobiological level. But we don't know how serotonin, for example, it makes it easier for a person to do stuff. We know that some people are going to respond positively to antidepressants, but we don't know why. We don't know exactly what it is about serotonin, for example, and the volumes of serotonin circulating around a person's body. We don't know how this corresponds to feeling better about one's life. Western medicine is not certain about why antidepressants work. What they are pretty certain about is how they work. And so I'm going to speak about this very briefly. SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, work in the following way. I'm going to use a metaphor here. Imagine that there is someone throwing a ball and someone catching a ball. Let's call them the thrower and the catcher. Imagine that the thrower throws a ball and the catcher catches it. But before the catcher has been able to drop the first ball that they've caught, the thrower has already thrown a ball. And so the catcher can't catch the next ball. But they can catch, you know, every four that the thrower throws. But then soon enough, the thrower has run out of balls. But the catcher has only caught, let's say, 10% of the balls. Now, maybe this isn't super high. Maybe we want to catch more balls. So what happens when you take a, an SSRI is that the balls hang around for a bit longer. The serotonin hangs around for a bit longer. And so it's almost as if as the thrower is throwing the ball, it's hanging around in the air for longer, giving the catcher more time to catch it and to do whatever they need to do with the ball. This is a roundabout way of saying that SSRIs keep serotonin in between neurons for longer than usual. 
They prevent the body from uptaking it. And so they give receptors more time to absorb serotonin. And this is thought to be the mechanism that improves people's mood. Now, a logical conclusion that a person might make is that depression and anxiety involve serotonin alone. Once you regulate serotonin levels, once you make it so that a person has enough serotonin or enough serotonin in a particular area, that they are then going to be stress-free and without sad thoughts. But that's not really how it works. There's a lot more happening than that. Depression and anxiety are not just about chemicals. They are also about things that happen in a person's life. For example, if you have something very sad happen in your life, your mood is probably going to be affected by it. And the sad thing can't simply be explained in terms of serotonin. It doesn't feel right just to describe sad things in terms of hormones and neurotransmitters. When we are thinking about something like depression or feeling sad or anxiety, feeling stressed, feeling overwhelmed, it's not right just to think about what's happening at a biological level. We are more than just chemicals. We are the product of social relations and memories and family history and, and political circumstance and music and film and all of these different things. So there is so much that informs how a person feels. And so when we're thinking about things like depression and anxiety and antidepressants, it's important to think about all of these things as having a lot of context. When a person is feeling sad, it's probably not just because their serotonin levels are insufficient. It's probably also because there's something in their lifestyle that is affecting them. And we can make a segue here into the self-help industry, which I think has been so successful because it has reminded people that it's very important to make sure that your lifestyle is making you feel a certain way. It's making you feel as though you are in control in the right kind of way or doing th enough things that you're not kind of spending way too much time alone with your thoughts and so on. And so here we get to a kind of debate in the medical and psychological community where some people think that, you know, depression and anxiety are purely a chemical imbalance. Other people think that that these things hinge purely on social factors. And then there are people in the middle who think that both are responsible. And this middle view is often described as a psychosocial approach to mental illness and mental health. Okay, so now we have some context for our discussion of antidepressants and what they treat. The two things that I've spoken about so far have been depression and anxiety. We've also spoken about the mechanisms of, of SSRIs in particular and how their function primarily involves keeping serotonin around long enough for receptors to uptake it so that so that a body essentially can have more serotonin going around. Now we're going to talk about some of the benefits and the effectiveness of antidepressants. So as soon as you begin looking for statistics about the effectiveness of antidepressants, you get results that vary pretty wildly. So according to the study that I'm looking at at the moment, about 40 to 60 out of 100 people who took antidepressants noticed an improvement in their symptoms within six to eight weeks. So one thing that's interesting to note here is that it takes six to eight weeks. And this is something that you commonly hear. Antidepressants don't work straight away. It takes up to two months in order for you to start feeling better. Now, one thing that's very interesting about this is that antidepressants have an immediate biological effect, right? It's not as if they take a really long time to actually 
do their thing. When you take it, it's immediately going to have an impact on the serotonin in your body. However, it seems to take around two months for them to have their full effect. Now, based on what I've read, no one really knows why this is. And I think more than anything, this is symbolic of something very important to note about antidepressants, which is that it is extremely difficult to predict how well a particular antidepressant will help an individual. It's also very difficult to know how it will help an individual. It's not as if a doctor can say with certainty, okay, these are the symptoms that are going to decrease. You're going to feel more energy. You're going to feel more awake in the morning. You're going to feel less anxious before bed. You can't really speak about antidepressants in this way. But 40 to 60% of people with moderate to severe depression in this study that I'm looking at noticed an improvement in their symptoms. And one thing this makes me think about is the way that people seem to be very divided about the way that antidepressants should be used. Should they be used alone without therapy or should they be used with therapy or should they not be used at all? All kinds of medical professionals have different opinions about this. You know, you'll find lots of essays and books and articles written in support of each of these three positions. Now here, I'll just talk a little bit about my personal experience. And I use antidepressants alongside therapy. And I think together, I find both therapy and antidepressants to be very helpful. So I do talk therapy with a psychiatrist once a week. And what I find to be helpful about doing therapy so regularly is that it allows me to keep checking in with my feelings. Because one of the side effects of antidepressants for me and this seems to be quite a common side effect, is that it dulls everything for me. So when I went off antidepressants this year, for example, um, I was off them from about January until uh, May or June, life felt so vivid and so raw, and it was like, it felt way too overwhelming. Then I went back on antidepressants and life felt less raw and less vivid and less colorful, I suppose. And so this was kind of a sacrifice that I had to make. I had to, it felt like I had to choose between having life be really overwhelming and really bright and colorful or go on antidepressants and have the kind of color turned down a bit and have all the dials turned down a bit, which has made me feel quite sad at times. It feels like I've lost track of myself and this kind of thing. But seeing my psychiatrist each week and talking for an hour about how my week has been and things that have come to mind and difficult moments that I've had and helpful moments and positive moments that I've had, all of these things seem to keep me grounded in myself. So now I'm going to talk about some of the potential side effects around antidepressant use. So some of the most common side effects include nausea, insomnia, weight gain, and sexual dysfunction. These side effects don't sound great, do they? Nausea is never any good, not being able to sleep is horrible, weight gain is very complicated, and sexual dysfunction, having one of the most intimate parts of your life affected, is very serious. Now, one of the most common side effects of, of using antidepressants that I have heard people speak about is not so much sexual dysfunction, but more sexual change. People feel as though their connection to their sexual identity is shifted in some way. Some people have described distance from their kind of sex drive. They feel as though they are aroused in a different way, like it's almost not them who is being aroused. 
Some people have said that they feel less sensitive in their body. Some people have said that it's impossible for them to climax. These are very real considerations. And so one of the most important things to reflect upon while you're on antidepressants is the way that your experiences are changing. Now, it's hard to know how much of this you can attribute to antidepressants and how much of this you can just attribute to like being a person who's going to have different experiences at different times. But I think at some level, you know, you can kind of know what's affecting you. For example, I feel very different on antidepressants. And I think it's quite obvious to me the ways that I feel different. But what's not obvious is whether it's worth these sacrifices or not. This is one of the most confusing things about antidepressants. And I think I want to speak about this just for a little bit. So one common thing people do to try and decide whether or not something is worth it is to write a pros and cons list. Okay, A, B, C on this side, X, Y, Z, hmm, which one seems better? Is, are the pros better? Do the pros outweigh the cons? Do the cons outweigh the pros? You know, you can do this like with, I don't know, buying a new t-shirt or like going on a holiday or something. You can think very practically about the ways that it's going to affect your life. When you're reflecting on your emotional and interpersonal experience of the world, it's very different. It's much harder to compartmentalize your feelings in a practical and clear way to say, okay, the way that I think antidepressants have changed my libido outweigh the impact that it has on my mood. This seems to be quite a challenging thing to do. It's very hard to have this kind of awareness of your feelings. I'm obviously not saying that it's impossible, just that it's a difficult thing to do. And so one thing that I have done a lot of thinking about is whether it's worth me being on antidepressants. Are the side effects, which for me primarily involve feeling kind of dissociated, I suppose, feeling disconnected from my body, not feeling like things are real at times. Like, for example, the other day I was making a salad and I cut my finger, not bad, just like a little cut and it was bleeding. And usually, you know, you like clean it and put a bandaid on it or something. But I just like looked at it. I almost felt like it was an experiment or something, a scientific experiment where I was just like, observing the world happening to me. But I feel like one reason why antidepressants are very effective for me in dealing with anxiety and depression is that they give me distance from things. They kind of, it feels like they create a lot of emotional space between certain things that happen in the world and my reaction to them. And I think like the other day when I cut my finger and I was looking at it, I noticed this really clearly. Like it took, I had to kind of tell myself, you have a bleeding finger. Like, do something about it. Whereas in the past, I wouldn't actually have to have that thought. I would just do something about it. And so for me, the reason why I'm on antidepressants is because I feel like, for whatever reason, I'm not entirely sure why, they are having a positive impact on my life. And the like strange experiences, like cutting my finger and feeling detached from it, that I can learn how to deal with them. It's not as if I've become a completely different person on them, but I think it is true that my reactions to things have changed. And part of the experience of being on antidepressants is learning how to notice these subtle changes and not to be horrified by them or, or scared that you've become a different person or anything like that, but more to just be like, okay, I'm reacting to this in a slightly different way to how I did before. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about the cultural significance around antidepressants and the ways that they are stigmatized. So I want to speak about this term called cosmetic psychopharmacology, which was coined by psychiatrist and former professor at Brown, Peter D. Kramer, 
which refers to the use of drugs to move persons from a normal psychological state to another psychological state that perhaps they think is more desirable or is perhaps better socially rewarded. For example, from general feelings of melancholy to general feelings of assertiveness or from, or from slower to faster cognition. There are a number of reasons why cosmetic psychopharmacology is concerning. So the first concern is an ethical concern, which is that having a cosmetic approach to medicine is a manifestation of consumerism. That you can buy something and consume something and then you'll feel better and then you'll be better, a better version of yourself. You, know, you buy a new laptop and then you're more productive. You swallow a new tablet and then all of a sudden you're the best version of yourself. And without wanting to sound corny, you know, it's very hard to actually show that there is something wrong with someone. Once you get to know a person and and kind of understand the motivations behind their actions and, you know, the, the story of their life. Once you've been able to humanize someone, it, it gets so it becomes so difficult to be like, OK, there's something wrong with them. To me, a lot of the time it feels really shallow and naive and kind of disrespectful to be like, OK, yeah, there's something wrong with that person. The second concern about cosmetic pharmacology is more of, I suppose, a behavioral one, which is that when people think that they can swallow something and make themselves a better person, it might actually get in the way of them doing things that might generally help them. For example, if you believe that the only thing you need in order to make your life better is a tablet, but really, you know, the things that you enjoy are socializing and, and watching movies with your friends and whatever, you should probably do that. You should probably watch movies with your friends and socialize more rather than being like, okay, all I need in my life is to swallow a tablet and then I can just work for like 16 hours a day. My psychiatrist said something very interesting to me recently. My psychiatrist kind of reminded me, like, the goal shouldn't be to feel as good as possible, but to find a way to live that feels okay. If I could choose between living the kind of life I want to live without antidepressants or living the kind of life I want to live with antidepressants, I would probably want to do it without antidepressants. But at this stage in my life, I'm not there yet. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make this episode to give myself an opportunity to reflect why I take these tablets, how they affect me, and also open up conversation for you, the listener, in your life. And whether you're someone who's on antidepressants or whether, you're, whether you know people in your life who are on antidepressants, I also wanted to give you an opportunity to reflect on the role that these tablets might be playing in your life or in the lives of people around you. This is the first episode of Normal. Thank you very much for being here. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Share it with your friends who might enjoy it. And you can reach me on any platform. I am at Alex Hamo. There'll be links in the notes of this episode. Thank you very much for being here. And I'll see you next Sunday for the next episode of Normal. Hope you have a wonderful day.